Welcome to another episode of Scientology Fair Game. (laughs) (laughs) Off to a roaring start today. (laughs) Hi, Hi, Leah. Hi, honey. (laughs) Once again, we call them the OGs. Yes. We have an OG on. Mark Headley, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on again. Thank you for never, answering I've, but the I've never call. I've on the podcast before. This is the first time. No, meaning me. meaning like you consistently answer the call to me, to Mike, to anybody who needs you, you and your wife, Claire. I mean, it's just, um, anyway, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks All for right. having me. Of course. Well, so again, we, we've told your story on the aftermath and, you, and you've been on several times and Mike could put up those links, but let's, let's dive into your story. Let's dive into your Scientology story. You were, uh, you got into Scientology when you were six, your mother joined in 1979. You went to the Apple school as a kid, which is a Scientology school. Yeah. And how, well, if you, if you can call it that. Well, yeah. <laughs> A Scientology, I don't know, really. It was just Child kind of- Childcare facility uh, with, with added <laughs> study tech? Yeah. It was- uh, a you, learn, you, you learn Scientology as a kid for your yes. education. Yes, exactly. Basically. That's yes. the best way to say it. Yes. And I was writing an article about this. I was, I was doing an interview, and I, I keep having to add to it because, uh, as you know, Scientology is not an easy subject to, to cover in a tweet, even in a show. <laughs> three years uh and a podcast i mean we just were always running out of time but but mark it's funny i was i was writing uh you know because one of the questions the interviewer asked was you know why are you so consistent why are you always shocked at scientologist behavior a fair game and um you know and going to therapy and reading books on the subject you know scientology once your parents are scientologists they cease to be your parents. Um, and I'm just talking about parishioners. It's everything is referring to L. Ron Hubbard's technology. Your parents can't think for themselves. As soon as they become Scientologists, they literally stop thinking for themselves. That's you, just, it's totally true. And actually, when I was a kid, yeah, um, my mom, if something happened or if I misbehaved, she would get out one of these uh, green volumes like Scientology a Scientology book. Yeah, it was called the, uh, we just call them the green, I called them the green books when I was a yeah. kid. But whenever anything would happen, she would grab one of these green Scientology books and then she would quote from that, like based what, basically what I did wrong and how it was wrong and then what I would need to do. And, and I was so, I had so much resentment for right. Scientology growing up, like, can't you just have a conversation with me? And I, and finally it came, I think I was about 14. And I said, every time you talk to me, you have to talk out of one of those green books. And I actually ended up moving out of the house at 14 because I just couldn't take it anymore. And where did you go? I actually went and lived with some of my friends that went, uh, that went to Delphi. I, I so other Scientologists, other Scientology families that would yeah. take me in and my dad had moved to Nebraska by this point, so I couldn't go live with him. And that's now, hang on a second. Is that, is that because your dad wasn't a Scientologist? No, my dad was never a Scientologist. We lived, we actually lived in Hollywood, right across from 
the Celebrity Center, which is that big castle castle in uh, at Hollywood and Bronson or yeah. uh, Franklin and Bronson. Yeah. And um, we lived in an apartment building right across the street from that. And um, my mom lived in the apartment building and my dad lived in the apartment building, but in separate apartments. Oh, they weren't together. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. They were divorced. Right. Yeah. As soon as, actually, when we moved to California in 1979, my mom very quickly got into Scientology. And I think at some point she gave him the ultimatum. Well, if you are not going to do Scientology, then we're going to get divorced. And he was like, well, I guess we're getting divorced then. So okay. and that sort of was uh, the kind of baseline that Scientology had to do with my parents breaking up and it had to do with me going to all these shitty schools. And uh, we mentioned Apple School. Later on, I went to Delphi, which is another Scientology school. And um, and basically, when I moved out when I was 14, I lived with these other families. And then my mom and I never really had a good relationship um, when she kind of joined Scientology and broke up with my dad. I kind of, I don't think I ever kind of got over that. Of course. And, and my dad was always cool. He was always, I mean, he worked hard. Um, he did what he could, but it was always like, well, he's not as good as he could be. And my mom started telling stories like he got electroshocked when he was a kid. And that's probably, he, oh, he can't be in Scientology. And I was just like, and I never even brought any of this up to my dad. I was just like, whatever, this sounds like a bunch of nonsense. And I actually, I was like, she's just third partying my dad, which is kind of like a Scientology thing <laughs> where if there's any conflict, there's an, an this third party Entity. That, that is creating the the mischief or the the rumors or whatever, trying to, you know, make a make a stir up some trouble. Right. But um But your dad he kind of resigned to the fact that he just had no jurisdiction over you or yeah, he, he really, uh, that's the wrong word. Uh he basically he, my sister and I, I have a sister as well, and she's mm -hmm. also was in Scientology and went to the mm -hmm. same schools. And he basically knew that he had to play along to get along. If he did if he said anything bad about Scientology, then he knew he would lose contact with so, and, but you said you weren't allowed to move with your dad. Why was that? Your mom had obviously custody of you well, and your sister or. He moved to Nebraska and I went to school and lived and all my friends and I didn't just, I wasn't just going to up and move off to Nebraska. That was sort of like, whoa. Now, even so, though you had this kind of uh, uh, well-deserved disdain for Scientology, it, it already broke up your family um, you still joined what's called the CU organization, which is the the part of Scientology where you join, where you give up your life. You have to you live, eat, and yeah. work communally. And so that was but, sort so of a bamboozle. That was okay. I didn't really, I didn't sign up for what I was doing. I signed up for something else, and I got bamboozled. So I was, I was, I was basically moved out when I was fourteen. I was right. living with a girl that went to school that went to Delphi mm. and her family and her, f her mother and father got recruited for the Sea Org while mm -hmm. I was living with them. Wow. So then I had to move out of their house. So then I moved in with another lady um, that was a, a teacher um, at Delphi. And then I also began doing what's called a work study program at Delphi because my dad and mom stopped paying for my schooling. So I was paying for my school. Delphi is an expensive school to go to. 
Um, I think it's about back then it was about 500 a month, which is I think is probably still a lot. Um, but I was paying for my own schooling and then working at the school. And um, I was a soccer instructor and I was helping out with whatever I could. I was actually the person who was in charge of getting the teachers to do their courses to learn how to be better teachers. And um, and a group of recruiters came from a Sea Org facility called Able International, which is the Association for Better Living and Education. And they are a Sea Org unit, which is uh, these billion-year contract Sea Org members from Scientology. And they run the front groups uh, for Scientology, which is Narconon, Criminon, Applied Scholastics, and the Way to Happiness Foundation. And they came and said that I could work at a Narconon in Oklahoma and that I would be getting minimum wage. I wouldn't have to finish school. Right. And that I could help people get off drugs. <clears throat> so here I am. I'm f- by this time, I'm 15. Mm-hmm. I'm paying for rent, food, trying to figure out how to get to school every day. I'm yeah. trying to hustle and do side gigs and mm-hmm. other things to make money so I don't have to just eat ramen and bologna for every meal. And right. these guys come along and say, you can get all up out of here. Don't have to finish school. You can go to Oklahoma, start making minimum wage, and we'll cover your boarding and all this other stuff. And I thought, that sounds like what I need right now because I'm right. really struggling at 15 to like wow. pay, pay yep. rent. Yeah. And pay school and everything else. Yeah. And so I joined the Sea Org because there was going to be a Sea Org team that was going to go out to Narconon and run the Narconon and take over for these people that were basically not doing too good on running a Narconon. Right. And so after about two weeks in the Sea Org, I realized probably not going to end up at Narconon. Because you read about in the Sea Org, one of the first things they teach you is you're going to go wherever we tell you to go and you're right. going to do whatever we tell you to do. And I just want to, your mother had to sign papers that basically handed over yeah. her rights as a parent to Scientology and the Sea Org, right? So she yeah. had no parental rights at this point. Yeah. And oddly enough, that was the first time I actually felt like she was proud of me. Wow. Like when she got to. Hmm have nothing to do with me anymore. <laughs> like, this is the best decision you could be making. I'm so proud of you. Finally, you're going to be a real Scientologist. And I was just like, really? Okay. Now yeah. you have no responsibility for me whatsoever. And now you're happy. So anyway, so I start working at the Sea Org and I start actually working at Able International, which is on Hollywood Boulevard. It's the big building at uh, 6331 Hollywood Boulevard. And um, of course, I, I'm not going to Narcan. That's I find that that's like the first thing they tell you is that I'm actually, not only am I not going to go to Narcan, but I'm going to become the vice president for personnel for Able International. So that's like an executive posting. I've been in the Sea Org exactly one hour. And right. uh, I'm going to be, now I'm actually going to be in charge of recruiting new people the Sea mm-hmm. Org, right. um, at this Sea Org facility on Holly Boulevard. Yeah. And so I ended up doing that for about, I don't know, three or four months. I failed horribly. I, I tried to recruit every single person that I knew at Delphi. I tried to recruit anybody and everybody that I knew I tried to recruit. 
and um, and I wrote a lot of letters to just the files and all that good stuff. And the one person I got into the Sea Org was my sister from Delphi. Oh wow! <laughs> and then and I immediately made her the what's called the the cope officer, which is kind of like the junior to the Gee. guy who's in charge of recruiting everybody. It's the right. one the one person under him. <laughs> made her write all the letters and do all the recruitment and all the stuff I didn't want to do. And um, and then I ended up getting busted off of that because I didn't recruit anybody else. And then they made me the vice president for the finance division for the for the treasury department. So I got actually like I was I got what's called a committee of evidence, which is kind of like a, a justice action in, within Scientology. And um, so I was, you mean their arbitration? Yes, the arbitration. <laughs> Their official Scientology arbitration procedure. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, which, just checking. Which, by the way, is very arbitrary. I don't know if those words have any. It's so arbitrary; it doesn't it, exist. Yeah, arbit- it's just, arbit- arbitration in Scientology. It could yes. be based on the what way the wind is blowing past David Miscavige that day. It could that Correct. Could depend on what the results are. But wait, um, Mark, I want to ask you just a few questions. Yeah. D- during your time in the Sea Org, I mean, what what are we talking about? You're 15 years old. You are. You're living in a dorm with grown men or, uh, yeah. you know. I was living well, in a dorm yeah. with a guy named Dick Story. And Dick Story <laughs> was one of the original Guardian's Office members. Mm-hmm. And he's mentioned in a lot of the Guardian's Office documents when the Scientology perpetrated the largest infiltration into the United States government in its mm-hmm. history. He right. was... I think his post was like assistant guardian or something mm-hmm. like that. He he was in the intelligence bureau, the information, oh, the yeah. the invest, the the dirty tricks department. Yeah, there you go. So yeah. he was my roommate um, when I got into Scientology, and and, and he yeah. worked at Able mm-hmm. because a lot of and this is an, a thing that I didn't know until I got into Able as well is that when the Guardian's office got busted. They had all these people that work for them and part of the agreement or whatever, the plea or however the court system worked it out and dealt out the punishment to Scientology. They said these guardians office people can't work in Scientology anymore because uh, they're criminals or Scientology kind of threw them under the bus to say they don't work in Scientology anymore. That's that's actually what happened. There was nothing from the government. This was uh, I. PR solution to the problem of how do you have all these guys that got sent to prison that were good Scientologists at the top of Scientology? Oh, we don't have them anymore. We threw them all out. Yeah. So when I got to Abel, I found out that all these Guardians office members became the staff members for all these front groups. So because... The Able Able International actually used to be a department of the Guardian's office, which was called SOCO, Social Coordination. So all of these people that were in the Guardian's office that were infiltrating the government and doing all these dirty tricks, well, guess what? There's a guy by the name of Henning Helt. He's also, he's actually one of the people, I think he went to jail or he was one of the named co-conspirators. Guess what? He was the headmaster, headmaster of Delphi. Mm-hmm. He was my headmaster at Delphi. Yeah, the so they who, just re, yeah they just reassigned the criminals to other. Yeah. So yeah, he wasn't working in Scientology, quote, yeah, like legitimately 
He no, he was working, working for Scientology. He was working for the. He was front working for their school Scientology. front groups. Yeah. Not on sci- Not on paper, the Scientology Church or whatever you want to call it. Either way. Yeah, but I- but Mark, let, let's not make let's make sure people understand. Able International is absolutely part of the Scientology quote church. 100%. Able International is a C organization outfit that, as you say was headquartered at 6331 Hollywood Boulevard, the Hollywood Guarantee Building, With home of David Miscavige. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The same building that RTC is located in. And, so. and the head of Able International was Laurie Zern, and Laurie Zern was the former Deputy Guardian United States. Yes. And the president of Able International was Rena Weinberg, the infamous... B1, meaning Dirty Tricks Department agent South Africa. from South Africa. Yeah. The, this, the place it was, was a who's bold. who. It was a who's who of the Dirty Tricks people were the people that, by the way, uh, were the most ethical people on the planet. Here's all your coworkers. It, w- it was literally <laughs> like, these are the guys you're working with. And, and then I found out. Uh, there's a guy by the name of uh, Kendrick Moxon, who's a Scientology lawyer, and he's also an unindicted, a named unindicted co-conspirator in the infiltration of the United States government. And his wife, Carla, was a teacher at Delphi. So once you start making all the connections, Delphi was uh, was basically all the rejects from the Guardian's office. That's where they went to work. And um, and, and And in fact... The guy who founded Delphi in Oregon is uh, declared SP to the to uh, at, at this point, but um, so they have all kinds of Delphi's got all kinds of ties to Scientology. If anybody tells you uh, Delphi is not a Scientology school, it is one hundred percent through and through a Scientology school. It is also now the biggest source of new recruits into the Sea Org in the United States. Yeah. They have a hard time finding anybody in the United States who will now join the Sea Org. Mostly, if they get them, they get them from like South America or Central America or Europe, Eastern Europe. Yeah. yeah. But in in the United States, Delphi is the biggest source because it is primarily children of Scientologists. Yeah. So the Sea Org so- recruiters hang out there all day, every day pounding on people it's how christy got into the sea org she was recruited from delphi so yeah it's also it's a a usual suspects list even now when you like you go to the danny masterson thing and you say well there's this girl who was danny masterson's interrogator or the person who oversaw his interrogations and um and let's get a hold of her What's her name? Her name's Angie LeClaire. Angie LeClaire was the very first graduate of Delphi, Los Angeles. So it's when all these people that kind of went into the Sea Org in the, in, the, in the 90s and in the 2000s, their parents of Scientologists or children of Scientologists, and in a lot of cases, they're students from Delphi. When you go, when, when you get into the Sea Org, um, if you're like a new Scientologist, and you join the C organization, you have to do all the indoctrination that you would have to do to become a C org member. And there's all these different courses and all this different training that you have to do. When I joined the C org, um, the, 
the indoctrination period took two weeks where sometimes it could take people two months. It took two weeks for me because I'd already done all of the indoctrination while at Delphi. Right. Wow. For the you're, you're, right. Right. Of course. Yes. So, but, and, and to your guys' point, I mean, uh, parents, uh, Scientology parents are just really quick to hand over their children to the Sea Org. But even before that, as, as I was mentioning at the, at the top of the podcast, was your parents cease to become your parents as soon as they begin to be Scientologists. They don't totally. think for themselves. They don't. Everything is about what does L. Ron Hubbard say, pulling out the books, yeah. reading this to your children verbatim, having your children follow these things verbatim. But even past that, even past just the what would LRH say and what does yep. L. Ron Hubbard tell me to do, they start sending their children to Scientology organizations that are run by Sea Org members. Now, Sea Org members are dressed in military uniforms. They are set up as the most ethical beings on the planet. They're the only hope for mankind. And these are the men and women who your children are being sent to for confessing that they stole something or be, you know, being promiscuous. They, Scientology parents send their children to the Sea Org. Yeah. And these men and women and and by the way, children running the Sea Org are in these military uniforms with epaulets. I mean, the whole the lanyards, they they have a, a formidable formidable presence that as a child, you're you're petrified. You're oh, my God, my parents kowtow to these people. So they must be really powerful. And there's all these posters up of Sea Org members and military uniforms and military hats. And it says we're the only hope mankind has, and we're the only ones doing anything about it. And they set themselves up as your primary caretaker. Totally. And so the reason I bring this up continuously is because we continue, we, we continue to be asked, uh, why did you stay? And why are you shocked by the behavior of Scientology and Scientologists, even your own parents, when they do hate videos about yeah. you, lie, uh, break the law. You know, all of this is shocking to us because we know we're telling the truth, but also because as children and into adulthood, I mean, adults are being handled by Sea Org members. I mean, if you're a Scientologist, oh. you are reporting to the Sea Org. You are given, you know, well, this is what's going on at work. You have a Sea Org member sitting across from you going, this is what you need to do. Oh, my husband wants my children. This is what you need to do. Oh, this going on, that's going on. This is what you need to do. They're dictating your life. Grown men and women don't know how to think for themselves. And that is why, um, in, in a lot of cases, uh, the children pick Scientology or the parents pick Scientology over their own family because that is their primary caretaker. Totally. Whether or not they're abusive or not, oh, those who've been in abusive relationships or have parents that were abusive. Yeah. Most will protect their abuser. Yeah. No, it's totally Because true. that's their primary caretaker, and that's what we all did. And so you growing up in this environment and being sent a clear message, as we all were, um, that Scientology took precedence over being a parent and protecting you, Mark, this, this makes sense why you would join the Sea Org at 15 um, and, and remain in the Sea Org for 
most of your adult lives. Just yeah. same with Mike, same with me, you know, as a Scientologist. Like, yeah. it makes sense why we well, made... That's all I ever knew. That's, that's And that was it. your primary caretaker, right? Yeah. And why it's easy to walk away from your parents and your husband and your wife is because you really don't have a, a, a bond with, with your parents as you do with Scientology, who yeah. take over being your parents. When I joined at 15, yeah. I said, well, you're still going to have to go to school until you're 16 because it's mm -hmm. not legal for you just to not go to school. Right. And so, but then as soon as you get, as soon as I got to the Sea Org, they were like, well, <laughs> were you working inside the Hollywood guarantee building? <laughs> Who's going to know you're not at school? And, and that's the thing. People ask, that us, uh, ask us that all the time. Like, why are parents, like, why isn't anybody reporting these kids being abused? Why is nobody reporting that these kids are not getting an education? Or go, yeah. Who's Everyone's in it? on it. Yeah, everyone's the in on it. The Scientology parents <laughs> is in total agreement totally. with how you're being raised. And if you called your mom and said, Mom, I'm not eating or... You know, this is illegal. I'm working from eight in the morning till totally. midnight. Well, even um, when I, even when I, the, so I was so naive. So the yeah. first week I'm there working at Able, I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm supposed to go to school like once or twice a week. Like maybe yeah. I, I think, and that, I think at some point someone said, yeah, yeah, you could just go to school on the weekends. Like right. you'll work on post during the week. And then on Saturday and Sunday, you'll go off to school. Mm -hmm. And then Saturday came along, and I was like, "Am I supposed to do like the school thing?" And the per the, the <laughs> and it, I think it was actually it might have been Rena. No, it was actually this girl named Veronica Kegel. She was the person who was over my area, and she said, "Listen, you're like 15 and a half or whatever it is. By the time anyone figures out you're not in school, you're not going to need to go to school." So. I never went to one day of school once I joined the Sea Org. As with school as is over. true with most Sea Org children. Yeah, it was just, and it was and and there were tons of other kids there that worked at what we call it the HGB, the Hollywood Guarantee Building, um, and it houses, um, I think it might have housed like eight or nine different Scientology organizations, and we all had different schedules and we worked for different people, but we were all. We were all coming in at eight o'clock in the morning, and we were all leaving at midnight. And right. um, and there was probably, I don't know, set several hundred people that worked in that building. And sure. if you worked in that building, you were a Sea Org member, no yeah. matter what. And there was right. a few people at that time, and and this was my case as well for Able and for another group called Wise, which is the Worldwide Institute of Scientology Enterprises, and that's sort of like a a front group for getting uh, chiropractors and dentists and sort of business people kind of uh, bamboozled into Scientology so that they can, um, you know, use Scientology in their business practice or right, whatever. Right, right, So Able and Wise um, were getting paid minimum wage. So most Sea Org members were making like 30 to $40 a week mm -hmm. at that time. But if you worked at Able or you worked at Wise, you had to get minimum wage because they, at the time, this was in 1989, 1990, they were trying to get tax exemption from the IRS. And so if you worked at Able or Wise, technically those weren't Scientology. Those were these uh, secular, 
I don't remember what they called it, but they called it the, oh, they were Social Betterment Corporations, which is what Abel was running. Mm-hmm. And, um, and WISE was a business activity that had nothing to do with Scientology on paper. On so, paper, right, right. Yeah, so we had to get minimum wage. And I thought, well, damn, I'm working 110 hours a week. I'm going to get loaded. And they're like, well, no, you're, we're only going to pay you for 40 hours. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to – if you're going to follow the rules to follow the rules, let's, let's follow the 110-hour part, you know. Um, I'm going to assume that didn't but, happen, Mark. No, I got 40, but yeah. this is even the better part is that for a long time, we were getting the 40 hours a week, but then they figured out, well, you guys are getting too much money, so now we're going to make you pay for your food, and then we're going to make you pay for the birthing um, where we live, the apartment that we lived in. And then that way, that would kind of take us down a peg. More. You mean the Scientology-owned building? Yes, we would have to pay. Oh, okay. We would actually pay the Scientology organization that fed us. We'd yeah. have to pay them money. Uh-huh. And then we'd have to pay the, sci- the Scientology, whoever was paying the rent for the apartment we lived in, we'd have to pay that to them so that they could then pay the rent to the apartment building. And, um, and we still had some money left over. And, and, and eventually I was just like, well, I'm not paying you guys for food because your food sucks. I'm going to go down to Sandy Burger on Ohio Boulevard for lunch. And, uh, well, it sounds like you had dinner. a great life. Mark, the way well, you're it, setting it up, it sounds amazing. I mean, well, you had money well, in your here, pocket. <laughs> I'm leading, I'm leading okay. up to the punchline. Oh, okay. So Waiting then when I that. became the Treasury Secretary, the uh-huh. Vice President for Treasury, they were like, when you pay everybody this week, you just need to get them to sign the checks. Mm-hmm. So you write them checks and then you have them sign them and then you just deposit it back into the bank account. And I was Wait, like, so, so, you so had- that would write them their payroll check okay. for the minimum wage. Okay. And then I would get them to endorse the checks and then take the checks back from them. So I would literally give you a check saying, here, Leah, here's your check for the week. Yeah. Go ahead and sign the back of it and give it back to me because I'm going to go redeposit that back into the bank. And then what's the response of Sea Org members when they were being asked? They were like, they basically told me to go fuck myself, most of them. They were like, you know, that ain't going to happen. And I said, well, listen, it's an order. It's come down from the top. You got to do it. And probably 80% of them did it. But when I got to the bank with those checks, Mm -hmm. the teller at the bank was like, you can't do this. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, this is super illegal. You can't write somebody a payroll check and then have all of them endorse it and then come back here and deposit it back into the bank. And so that whole sign over your paycheck back to the org thing lasted about an hour. And then I had to go around like a, with my tail between my legs and give everybody their checks back that they, but regardless, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to set up the picture that people were getting paid money in Scientology. We were making a few hundred dollars for 110 hours of work a week, which is basically slave labor. I mean, if you compare what Sea Org members make in the United States, it's actually less than what people consider slave labor in China. Sea Org members work more hours a week and they're paid less and they get less time off than what is internationally considered slave labor. That's how a Sea Org member makes about 35 cents an hour. That's a, right. the average wave, wage of a Sea Org member mm-hmm. um, based on the hours they work and based on the amount of pay they get. And so, in China, it's 40 cents an hour is the average slave wage. 
So Mark, so despite all that, you found your way to the international gold base, which is what the, the, where the top, top, the, the, the top executive strata of Scientology lived and worked with David Miscavige in, um, Hemet, California, or River, what is it? Riverside is Hemet. Uh, Hemet. No, don't Springs. say it's don't Hemet. Don't say Hemet. Okay. Or Hemet San hates that. Go, go. It's what is Gilman, it? It's Gilman Hot Springs. Okay. In um, Riverside County. In Riverside County. If you don't, the Hemet people and the San Jacinto people, they're very specific about Hemet and San Jacinto not being the same, but they're more okay. like Scientology is not in our city. Period. Um, but okay. yes. And the only so, reason, I, and the only reason yeah. I even got to that headquarters place yeah. is because a girl that I was friends with at Delphi, mm-hmm. she worked at the Imp base, and she put my name on a list, and that's how I ended up there. I okay, would've... so you ended up got it. So you ended yeah. up at the international base, and you ran uh, the studios there. You were promoted to the AV producer at Gold, and the director of AV Systems, responsible for the AV Systems uh, for all organizations and missions. And you were there from, uh, for how long, Mark? How long were you there? I was there for 15 years, from 1990, and, and I uh, left in January of 2005. You escaped, and you wrote a book called Blown for Good, and yes. we'll put that up on our website. Awesome. Um, you escaped with the help of, uh, ironically, the help of uh, the the sheriff's department there, right? Riverside oh. County Sheriff's Department. I Well, I mean, yes, they helped me escape because somebody called nine one one. That's really the because the, they the, saw. So, so we could just quickly just run through this. Mark, you and your wife Claire Headley uh, lived somewhat off the base of this base. We live um, next to it. We live right, right and, next to and, it in a house. And you were in your on your motorcycle. You escaped. They came after you. They hit you with their with their SUV. Somebody saw that, called nine one one. The sheriff's department responded. You didn't tell him what happened. There's reasons why you just wanted to get out the, out of there. Uh, understood. Uh, you know, I know I busted your balls about this because you could have had them, and I'm like, oh my god, you could have had them. Um, but I, I, I should have. I know, but I, listen. Well, I could say that for a thousand moments in Scientology. I know, but in that was I, yeah. was I was eight seconds out. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But they did hit you in your car. They did hit you. They ran uh, me. They ran me but, off the road. One, I was on a motorcycle, escaping on a motorcycle. The security guards in the in the S in their SUV ran me off the road, and somebody saw that and called nine one one. All right, and the sheriff's department helped you. They they asked you who did it. You just said, "I just want to go. I just want to. I just want to get out of here." And they assisted you to get to ultimately your dad, who yeah, wasn't. They uh, knew. Yeah. They knew that I was trying to escape, even though I didn't tell them I was trying to escape. So they basically called me on it and said, "Listen, I I told them a song and dance. I'm just trying to go to my dad." They said, "Listen, where are you trying to get to?" I said, "I'm trying to get to the U-Haul in San Jacinto." And they said, "Great, we're going to call for backup and we're going to escort you." One car in front and one car behind you. We're going to drive you to that U-Haul. Right. And, and while doing the, that, yeah. the two different Scientology operatives tried to follow us. And they ended up pulling them over on two separate incidents and telling them, you're impeding with the police investigation. Stop following this guy. And right. it, that was a guy by the name of Bruce Wagner in a Honda Acura. 
And another uh, woman by the name of Muriel Dufresne, who is the uh, kind of like the Keystone Cops uh, PR girl gal at uh, the international base. And she's actually, I just got, and she's actually I, the one that tipped them off because I was giving them the whole song and dance like, oh, I'm just trying to go see my dad. Uh, I'm, there's no problem. These guys and I, we, we just had a misunderstanding. And then she pulls up while the cop's actually talking to me and says, what's wrong with Mark? And, they, and the cop recognized her from being from the Scientology headquarters. And then he immediately was like, oh, this guy's trying to escape. And so he said, nothing's wrong, ma'am. Go ahead, move along. And as soon as she drove off, that's when he said, dude, where are you trying to get to? And I said, I'm trying to get mm-hmm. to the U-Haul. He's like, okay, good. Let's get you there. Like, let's, let's cut through all the nonsense. You're trying to escape. We're going to help you. And, and Muriel is the person that, that infamously said uh, in one of those interactions with the police, uh, you can leave anytime you want. Yeah. You can. Oh, I mean, you can if we happen to run you over. Well, you know, what, whatever. But uh, you this can do is, it. This is, this is the classic lie that is told about Sea Org members that they can, you know, they're free to leave whenever they want. And yeah. anybody who has been in the Sea Org, and particularly anybody who has been at the international base, yeah. knows just what a complete absolute outrageous lie that is yeah they i mean come they weren't like chasing the <laughs> <laughs> exactly they weren't chasing mark down in an suv and driving him off the road because he was free to leave whenever he wanted yeah uh, leah when 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 for the 15 years i was there i would say i don't know 200 people escaped it was escaping was a pretty regular occurrence like so much so that um like David Miscavige would get let known each day who'd escaped that day or if someone had escaped that day. It was like a, it was a regular conversation. And so you knew if you left, you knew they were coming after you. You knew they were going to go to the bus stations. You knew they were going to go to the airport. You knew they were going to go to your relative's house. You knew they were going to go to the friends you have. And when you sign up in the Sea Org, and I never realized this until afterwards because I was so naive and oblivious, but when you fill out your life history form to join the Sea Org, you give them your mother's maiden name. You give them every address you've ever lived at. You mm-hmm. give them all of the info that they would need to get to get into your phone, your bank, your credit card. You, they, you give them all of that info. Mother's maiden name, right. date of birth, social. They have everything. So they can very easily find you if you have a bank card. Not a lot of people did. Uh, if you have any kind of relatives – um, they have all of that information, and within a matter, I would say within an hour, they pretty much have a list of everywhere that you could possibly go um, once you leave. Right, and, and, they, and, and, and they send people to all of those locations. It doesn't matter if it's in San Francisco or if it's in San Diego or if it's it doesn't. In Kansas it doesn't matter City. if it's in 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 uh, Saint Lucia. I mean, they're going to. It matter if it was in South Africa. Scientology has unlimited, unlimited amount of you know tax exempt money at oh. their discretion. This is another thing a lot of people don't know. They also at the ant base they have their own travel agent who has access to all the airlines. He can get you a ticket to anywhere from anywhere on any airline possible. And he also he also probably knows uh, 
who he probably has information. He does. And, the, and people say, well, that's you, impossible. He doesn't have information. Well, yeah. You know what he doesn't have? He doesn't have the first name. He can see the last name. That's all they yeah, need Mike. to see is the last name. What were you going to say, Mike? I was going to say, this absolutely is the case. Airline reservations, 100% are available. And, and people say, well, n- you know, you can't walk into a travel agent and they're not going to tell you who else, you know, you can't walk in your travel agent and say, does Mark Heavily have a reservation from uh, Denver to Washington, D.C. next week? And they're going to say, are you kidding me? We're not, we, we, we're not telling you that. Well, they could if they wanted to. If they were a Scientologist, they, they would tell you <laughs> in a second. They have access to Sabre, which is the airline reservations computerization system. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I know people, people ask that too. Why have you told the authorities? Yes. Mike has told the authorities yeah. this. Yes. Mark Headley, Claire Headley. They have all told the authorities of yeah. the abuses and the criminal activities that have gone on in the church of Scientology since it was born and invented. Yeah. So okay. either way we knew, you knew what was going to happen when you left and through the times that I was there, they have a thing called the blow drill. Yeah. So if some uh, a blow is a, an unauthorized departure, that's the Scientology term for when you leave without a, approval. They call it a blow, and there I I can think I I think I made a list one time. It was like fifty people who had blown and were gotten back from that blow drill. So they they escaped, and then a week later, poof. You see, and, I'm I, and I'm assuming weeds out on the property for the right, next two and I'm years. and I'm assuming the the reason why uh, you know they're so concerned with people, especially leaving the gold base or any you know secretive base of Scientology, is because of the things that you guys have witnessed and experienced. Totally, one hundred percent. You know the, the beatings, the yep. the abuse. Um, also, also just yeah. the secret crazy Scientology stuff, like. That was the thing that I found most fascinating is that I would start telling Scientologists these stories after I escaped. They would say like, well, you know, I can't believe you're not sorting this out. And I'd be like sorting it out like you you have this you have this idea that everyone in Scientology follows Scientology policies. Exactly. The only people that are made to follow the Scientology policies are the Scientologists, the public, the paying people at the base. We don't, there's no Scientology policy being followed on a that, That's basis. what was the most shocking to me, too. When, when I know, I you would tell me, like, hear but the, the policy guys, says this, and I would yeah, always and be I'm like, like, what are you, Leah, well, yeah, I know. Like, Leah, you keep talking about the policy. Nobody gives a shit about the policy. And you'd be like, well, aren't people writing knowledge reports? I'd be like, Leah, a knowledge report hasn't been written at the base for many years. And even if they're written, they're never read or yeah. acted on. It's just a giant waste of paper um but 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 scientologists would hear these stories and they'd be like i can't believe that that ray midoff is being beat up oh yeah Yeah. ray midoff was i mean he was i wasn't beat up as much as mike but he was beat up a lot he was picked on maybe he might have even been picked on even more than mike but um i don't know i wasn't there for all those meetings because i was in gold so i would see these guys being beaten up and I was in a lower organization, and that was for a long time. They kept this appearance up for the international organizations yeah. that they were all high and mighty. And right. if you were in gold, you were the scum of the fucking base. You were shit. 
and you were like, you were just, you were low lives. But if oh. you were in the CMO, the Commodore's Messenger Org, or you were in international management, well, you guys were the ass kickers. And if you were in RTC, I mean, the sun might as well have shown out of your ass. I mean, it did. Yeah. It was, that was sort of like the hierarchy. But yeah. then in the 90s, I would say in the late 90s, David Miscavige, he just started talking shit about everybody. If they were in RTC, if they were in international, he didn't give a shit. It was like, right. everyone sucks and everyone is a suppressive and every single person at this property is trying to kill me. And, and you're like, whoa. Like he thinks... He thinks Mike Rinder is an SP. He no, thinks Edient, the Guillaume yes, Lesev yeah. is an SP. Like he's, right. he's, he's actually writing to them. He's actually writing to them as suppressive Mike Rinder. Like right. that document was sent to Mike Rinder and I was CC'd on it. And it said, Mike Rinder, suppressive. And you're like, is this reality? Like this is insanity. And then at the same time, you're going like, why is he writing to a suppressive? If he's suppressive... <laughs> Like Dave Miscavige is writing to people saying, this is what I want you to do. Like, here are the action items for you for this week or this month. You suppressives. Like, you're like, if he's a suppressive, he should be the fuck out of here. Why is he writing to them? Like, right. it just, so that that world was so insanely crazy yes. that, yes, of course, if anyone told what they saw at that place to a Scientologist, yes. they would not be a Scientologist. That's pretty well, much. I don't, I don't know about that. Because one for I mean, one, they, every we, single person that I've talked yeah. to that was a Scientologist that I've spent two hours talking to, they're not a Scientologist that they that were in. To. Yes, I've well, good for Leah, you, Leah. I was yeah. I was doing a job for a sports bar in Santa Monica, <laughs> and I was doing all this work for them. And Scientology, this is after I left, and Scientology would send PIs to my clients to fuck with them. And they would try to basically make me look like I was hiring thieves that escaped from. Because when I left, I've, I kind of isolated. The thing you need when you first leave, you need a job and you need a place to stay. That's the two things you need. And maybe a vehicle, depending on how philanthrop my philanthropy is doing. You need maybe need a vehicle too. Um, those three things are the, the things you need to kind of get back on your feet. And so I was hiring I probably hired 30 people that escaped from Scientology and I would hire them and I'd have them do work for me. And then Scientology would come to the places of business that I was doing a a job for. And they'd say, have you seen this guy? He escaped or he, he stole a bunch of stuff from Scientology and then left. And so I was doing this sports bar and there was four owners and they said, Hey, these guys came by today looking for this uh, kid that you got working for you. And I said, oh, Jesus. And until this time, my kind of, my past Scientology life and my new life had not really crossed over. So I said, listen, I want to meet with you guys. I got to tell you some stuff. And I sat down with the four owners and I said, I used to work at Scientology's headquarters in the de- desert at the secret compound. And, uh, and I escaped with the help of police. And now I'm sort of kind of like an underground railroad whistleblower slash just, pain in their ass and they looked they all three of them looked at one of the owners who was a scientologist he was elizabeth moss's twin at cc oh my god meaning her her he was her student uh partner 
at the Celebrity Center in Hollywood. This guy. He was an actor. He was on TV shows. He's been in all kinds of stuff. And he was the owner of a sports bar in Santa Monica. And, uh, and he was like, he was in disbelief. He was like, dude, you're awesome. You've been working for us. I can't believe you're a suppressive. And I was just like, dude, I'm, I'm like, I could be top 10 right now. Cool. Like currently, a living's SP, you know. But um, this is pre-Mike Rinder, too. There were no Mike Rinders. There were no Leas floating around. It was just us, us, uh, us OGs, as you say. Anyway, yeah. but uh, um, I spent two and a half hours talking to him, and that was it. He was done. He hasn't. Well, you're ba- you're baby OGs because there was some. There That's was some, true. You got before like, you. I know. Before you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they ain't here with us right Who now. Who are really on their own. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Really yeah like Paulette. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paulette Cooper. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm OGX in base. That's, yes, yes, exactly. That's yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. You are. Anyway. Um, and so what happened, in, Mark? So he left. That was it. He And then he started dishing, too. He's best friends with Tom Cruise's agent and... I was like, he was telling me stories from like last week in Scientology kind of but thing. But he left Scientology after He did right after that. That was it. He never he never right. went back. Amazing. Um good but job. But, 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 but wait, either way, get... but either yeah. way, yeah. It wasn't I didn't talk and this is and this is how this is my system. What however you want to say, right or wrong. My system is not to attack the philosophy of Scientology. Mm. You can right. never win because Scientology programs you as soon as you start talking about the, the, the philosophy or the policies or any of that, their blinders go up. They go, no, ah, squirrel. Yeah. Ah, they can't talk yeah. about that. Yeah. Don't talk about that. Just talk about the actual crimes and the wrong and the things that are not per the Scientology policies and not per the philosophy that they're doing. And, and David Miscavige beating the shit out of people and torturing people and throwing fat, overweight, old people into swimming pools, just all that kind of stuff, that, that just blows their mind. And there's no, way to, there's no way for their circuitry that they've been programmed in Scientology, there's no way for them to override that. And well, also, none, of that work, none of that work work on my friends when I was in and I was saying, guys, this is what's going on. Like the migrators well, of the world are leaving and they're, they're claiming they're being beaten. And well, here's the Shelley, only other- Shelly hasn't been seen and I wrote- Standard reports. I was told to write in Scientology. I did that. Well, here's and, the ex- here's yeah. the only thing where my system falls apart, mm-hmm. and that's when you start getting into the business relationships and the family relationships. So you were very lucky that you somehow left and you kept your family, your yeah. close family. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who've been in for a long time, there's no way for them to do that, and. If that is a if that's a button or if that's some a weakness that they have that they cannot leave with and leave their family, well then that there's no way around that. There's it, those people in their heart of hearts could be like, I know Scientology is the most horrible thing ever, but I can't yeah. leave my kids. I can't leave my kids, and that and that's the part. But they that, already have. I understand. That's the, that's that's, the part that's so and that's so what I try to explain yeah. to them. And as I go, yeah. when's the last time you went on a vacation? And just did a road trip across the United States. What was the States last time you kids? gave a real shit about your own child? Exactly. When's the last time? <laughs> when's the last time you were like part of the PTO and you like were making sure the kids were? You know. Yeah. You got. You're not. You're. You've already not. Uh. Uh. You're. You're. When you become a Scientologist, you become another version of yourself that doesn't yeah. have a family. So, 
you're not you're you don't see your kids. You don't care about your kids. Yeah, I don't. And I if don't you think do care about your kids, you should family. get them out of Scientology. <clears throat> exactly, but I don't think it's the family per se. Your daughter, your son. I think it's Scientology as yes. a collective. Yeah, and and the it, business relationships. Yeah, and the exactly. Friends and exactly. The, and also, and a lot of and where you live, it's also all about appearances. And in, in in L.A., so mm-hmm. if if your friend is you know, Melinda Blackstone or whatever, and she's got all these connections. I know I'm saying her name wrong, but um, if, if she's got all these connections, she's going to lose if she stays your friend. Well, she's not going to be your friend anymore. And, right, right. and that's the shitty thing about Scientologists is they are loyal to a fault with Scientology most of the time. But if you can show them, if you can show them how supporting Scientology is just, basically a horrible thing to do and that really you got to take you got to make a sacrifice you have yeah, to sacrifice thing, you have to make a sacrifice yeah. so that we can end this thing called scientology if that doesn't mean if that means i can't talk to my mom and my sister well but it's for the for everybody in scientology not just for my mom and sister this is bigger than mike and leah and mark this we're talking about thousands exactly. of people's lives that are being ruined agreed i agree and, and I was going to bring that up, Mark. When you when you left, you your your mother and sister uh, and half brother all disconnected from you, right? So you have yeah. no, your your mother doesn't know her grandchildren. Your brother doesn't know your sister doesn't know her nieces. Her yeah. I mean her nephews. I haven't seen my um, brother or my sister since two thousand five, or talked to them ever once. My and they my sister called my dad last year. My dad passed away last December. And my sister hadn't spoken to him in 15 years. And she talked to him on the phone for 20 minutes the day before he passed away. Right. And that was the only contact she had with him since he helped me. He didn't do anything. He didn't even, he didn't even say anything about Scientology. He just helped me escape. That was it. That was his crime. Well, he didn't help you escape, Mark. He helped you with somewhere to live. Yes, he helped. When you he, escaped, yes, after he helped, you escaped. He helped me escape to somewhere. <laughs> and, but, and, um, and for that, uh, your sister wouldn't talk to him. Yeah, my sister or my mother. And actually, we went to a funeral, my, my uncle's funeral, my mom's brother. And at that funeral, she told her family that we, if, we, if she talked to, if Stephanie, my sister Stephanie, or... Uh, my mom talked to Claire, myself, or my dad, Bernie, that uh, they would be r- risking uh, mankind's all all of mankind's future eternity. <laughs> I mean, her fam her family are not have don't have anything to do with Scientology. Uh, they that was a hard pill to swallow for them. <laughs> They're like, what? If you talk to Mark, mankind's future eternity and the, and, is that, and is that now, at stake. I want to uh, for everybody at home. Uh, don't think of Mark's mother as just kind of the exception. Well, that's Mark's mm-hmm. mother. She's an extremist. Scientologists believe this wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. And they told when we first, when I first started talking out about Scientology, mainly mm-hmm. in 2006, I was just writing about things 
Like I was just correcting stuff on the internet. Like I would mm-hmm. read these things, just crazy things. Like, yeah, yeah. oh, they're they have secret spaceships at their headquarters in in San in uh, Gilman Hot Springs, and you know, just ridiculously yeah. crazy stuff. And I'd be like, listen, that's not. I don't know about spaceships. I worked there for fifteen years. I didn't see any spaceships except for the ones we built to shoot in a movie or something. But um, uh, I was just saying people are getting beat up. I wrote this story about musical chairs. Um, and that one, that got a lot of traction. And that actually was a very good story to show Scientologists, listen, this musical chairs thing, they ain't got nothing to do with policy. You can read the musical chairs policy. There's a policy that L. Ron Hubbard it called musical chairs when you move people around uh, in Scientology on their mm-hmm. posts and it, it destabilizes the organizations when you do that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, no, this game of musical chairs – uh, he did kind of give and some is this kind of story you're talking about that was that was uh, in going we basically Koya. we basically yeah it ended up being in yeah, the going in the Lawrence Wright book which then also was highlighted in the Going Clear movie on HBO but he basically played a game of musical chairs with all of the international management staff members Sea Org members and whoever was left at the end of the game could stay there with him and rebuild quote unquote Scientology what a and prize. <laughs> and everyone else was going to get sent off to the worst possible Scientology organization. I would be purposely falling over myself, tripping myself, no, going anything not if you saw these toilets. Not if you saw these here. pictures of these toilets he showed us in uh, in Canada. Um, but, uh, but I but, all right. But anyway, this story but, but, was was this story was told in uh, in Going Clear. I don't want to go over it again. Yeah. Either way, uh, he was going to yeah. split every. And if you were married, yeah. he was going to split you up. It was just a horrible torture session, right? And um, and so and, I started, and, But that was that was that was the everyday at the Gold Yes, that was, I mean, that was a Tuesday. Yeah, right. You would go if you went to a meeting. Mike can back this up. If you went to a meeting with David Miscavige, it's a very possibility you're walking out with a bandaid on somewhere in your body. And <laughs> if he didn't, if he didn't physically attack you personally. He would throw shit at you like he'd have these manila file folders with papers and VHS cassettes and all kinds of weird stuff, binder clips in them. And you could get one of those hurled at you. Just you're not even paying attention. You could just be like staring out the window and you could just get boom right up against the side of the head with a file folder with a VHS package in it. And and that was that was an every single day occurrence. If you went to a meeting and there was not a physical altercation that was like that was a good meeting. No one yeah. got beat up in that meeting. So, so, so yeah. for that, so Mike, so Mark, you 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 escaped, like I said in in in, in two thousand five, and you wrote a book, um, blown for good about growing up in, in 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 Scientology and leaving Scientology. But so you left. Yeah. What happened to you when you left and you started speaking out? So when I started posting. I started posting on the internet uh, under the name Blown for Good because mm-hmm. I told you they would get people back. And I was like, no, I, you ain't getting me back. Right. So um, I, they started posting, and there was a very big program to figure out who this Blown for Good guy was. And I would post kind of things that would I would think like oh, that's going to get them off my scent a little because I know yeah. they're going to figure it out. They, yeah, yeah. they have ways of doing this. But I'm going to try to keep the ruse going as long as possible. And uh, they actually were starting to pull in people that in my circle. So I, I, I had a bunch of ex-Scientology friends that 
had also left from the int base and my wife and and we were kind of like a little group and and I was actually starting to recruit more people like I would be like hey dude I found I tracked down Jeff Hawkins holy shit let's invite him to our party hey I, I tracked down Amy Scobie let's have her come to our SP party and we'd have these parties every few months called an SP party and we would just start collecting more and more people and each time we'd find somebody they'd know two people well this pissed Scientology off to no end and we actually had, I would say, at least three or four SP parties that OSA, the Office of Special Affairs, the Dirty Tricks <clears throat> Bureau of Scientology, mm-hmm. they had people that were my friends that were working for OSA to, to basically report up on the party. And so I started to see and, and like notice things like, hmm, that's a little weird. And... When you leave, when you're an ex-Scientologist and you and you leave Scientology, and you start telling stories and oh, people are following me. Everyone's like, "This dude is so crazy, paranoid." All these ex-Scientologists are just paranoid. And I would be like, "No, I swear, I think somebody's somebody's following me. I I, I get this weird feeling. There are always people following me." Anyway, and then there was this weird guy that was around our neighborhood, um, and then. Uh, I was invited to go to an international conference in Hamburg, Germany, to basically to talk to a group of European Union police forces and their equivalent of like the FBI and uh, law enforcement for all of Europe. So Denmark and mm-hmm. Germany and Italy, all these got France. And when I went there, I went with a guy named Jason. And when we... We're at the airport for to leave from uh, LAX. We got given these flyers, the big broadsheets, and it was basically a picture of Jason and a picture of me, and it was it was all the horrible stuff we uh, all these horrible things about us. Unfortunately, it was in German, so I couldn't read it. I was like, "That's a good picture," but I don't know about any of this stuff you wrote because <coughs> I don't speak of the German anyway. And then I sort of thought, okay, I'm definitely on their radar. They definitely know it's me. They definitely know I'm up to no good. And um, when Jason and I were waiting in the lounge at the airport, I said, those two dudes right there, those are our PIs. I I said, I bet you money they sit either right in front of us or right behind us on the plane. And sure enough, they sat right behind us the entire way to Germany Um, When we got to Germany, we were booked at a hotel by the German, basically like the secret service, secret service of the German government Mm -hmm. is the one who booked our hotel. When we got, came down for breakfast in the morning at the hotel that the German secret service booked, those two PIs were sitting at the breakfast table right across from us. Mm -hmm. Well, they could have followed you. Well, yeah, but either way... um, we had – so since about – I'd say about 2006, I've had PIs, private investigators hired by lawyers of Scientology following me, taking my kids to school, at the supermarket. Um, anytime one of these SP parties happened, they had people in there. And funnily enough, when Mike Rinder left – did you leave in 2007, Mike? Yep. When he left in 2007, he found some thumb drive kicking around. And uh, he's like, hey, Mark, I found this thumb drive on it. It's got your dossier in it. (laughs) I was like, my what? And he had all of the communications between OSA and RTC 
about who Blown for Good is, about Mark's birthday party coming up, who we've got going to go into the party. They had three different people going to my party that didn't know the other two people were spies for them to report up on anything that was said or done. They had they had set up fake business opportunities for me to go and bid on a job that then they would claim me of uh, doing incorrect and then sue me. Right. They had an entire lawsuit drawn up by Ken Moxon and Osa of suing me for telling all the secrets that I knew about the imp base and all the notes. Like, we can't say this. We need this data to become overt. It's covert information. Like, they had a whole list of covert information that they had gathered and on their plans to make it overt information. They had my phone records, Leah, who I called, who I talked to, how long I talked to them in summarized pages for months. And this is on top of creating a hate website on you, having your family. No, this was on top of harassing me, not letting me talk to my my family, Um, sending me and my wife a bill for, I think it was $153,000 saying that we owed them for all the training and all the uh, interrogations I got on their uh, easy bake lie detector. At at their, at their request. Yeah. uh, At their, at their, at their insistence. uh, On top of, on top of working for them for, for 15 years. So so you said I was making it sound good. I worked 110 hours a week for 15 (laughs) years. I got paid a total of $29,000. For the entirety of that 15 years. The first six months after I escaped, (laughs) I made more in six months, phoning it in, by the way. I was working three hours a day on some days. I made more in six months than I made in 15 years working for Scientology. And now I'm only I'm really I'm only pointing out, Mark, that they actually had the balls to hand you a bill. And so how long did the harassment, I mean, has the harassment ended? I mean, here we are, we're 2021. Yeah. Have they so, finally left you alone, Mark, after well, harassing you, your wife, your children? Because the same with Claire. I mean, your the, wife, all of her family disconnected. Yeah. You know, the, the grandparents don't have uh, relationships with their, nope. with their sons and daughters and their, and their grandchildren. Uh, no. d- destroyed your relationship with your dad. Thank God he was there for you and you were there for him. And I'm so glad that you had your time together before his passing. Yeah. But this is, uh, I mean, it just never ends with Scientology. I mean, listen, I could, I could Google your name right now, Mark. And I could pull up your website. <laughs> yeah. And Claire, I mean, who, you're still, I think it's who yeah. is Mark Headley.com. Uh-huh. Um, and they pay for that. They pay yeah. to make that the top search result. And they've been paying Google for that since I would say 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't have as I don't have the hundreds and hundreds of domains that you and Mike have. But I, I might have ten. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, they. My dad actually he would keep up with the sites. Like he would say, "Oh, there's a a new video up on you." Now, mm-hmm. to full disclosure, I have never ever been to my hate website that Scientology has created because I know it's really just for me. It doesn't, they don't care if anybody else goes to it. They really want me to go to it and watch the videos. I've never watched a video. I've never been to the site, but my dad would go to it all the time. And I would say, dad, it's just a bunch of nonsense. He's like, I know, but 
the only chance I have to see your sister because <laughs> she's doing Aww. hate videos on there. <laughs> and uh, that's sad, actually. I know it was, uh, but yeah. but he could get it. He could get. He could see her from this year or whenever it was. He could see videos of her and what she looked like currently, and he could see her talking, and he could kind of get the essence of her. But that was the only way he could see her was to go to my hate website. And um, he actually, he came to me one time. This was, this, was, um, this was last year, actually. He came to me, says, hey, your mom put up a video about you. And I said, oh, great. I said, you know, Dad, I don't go to that because, you know, I don't want to get riled up. And I know whatever they're saying on there is crazy. He goes, he goes well, you got to hear it, though. And I said, okay, Dad, I'll, I'll, I'll humor you. What did I do now? He goes, you tried to drown your mom when you were seven years old. <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, yeah. Evidently, you were in the pool and you tried to drown her when you were seven. <laughs> and I was like, well, first of all, I have a seven-year-old. If he tried to drown me, I would just stand there. So I don't really know. And I don't even know how my seven-year-old would try to drown me. But okay, fine. But um I would always no, tell, but I, I, I would I'm always sure tell she, him, Dad, sure don't she, go to this site. I know. I think, but he I had think, to go to see my sister. He he yeah. he didn't care. He wanted to see her, whether she was talking shit or not. But um, and that's how he kept up with her over the years was to watch her doing hate videos on me on my website. And then he, like I said, she did call him, and we even then she called him and spoke to him. Um. The, 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 we were in the hospital with him and uh, and all of my cousins and his sisters and all his all of, we have a huge family here in Colorado and they all came and saw him and went through and it was a big deal and he called his sisters on the phone and and when my sister called we were all so happy because he got diagnosed with cancer in 2004 lung cancer and then again in 2014, he was diagnosed with lung cancer, and he was given three months to live in 2014. Um, and then he outlived that expectation, obviously. But then in two, I want to say a few years later, he was diagnosed with brain cancer, and they gave him three months to live then as well. And he outlived that, and he just kept going. And we really did think the only thing keeping him around was – the, the just the desire to be able to talk to my sister again, and so he he did he did keep stuck stuck around for a lot longer, but they basically stole my sister from him for no good reason whatsoever, and um, at least he got to talk to her for twenty minutes the day before he passed. But um, that's like that's just every day in Scientology. They don't. That means that. nothing just, to them. And nothing. and she didn't come to the funeral. My mom didn't come to the funeral. They didn't send flowers. They didn't send a card. Nothing. She talked to him for twenty minutes, and then it was just like, "You're out." And okay. even that twenty minutes, he didn't. He he kind of he kind of played it down. Hope you'll get it right next time. Yeah. Find your way back to Scientology. Yeah, and he, my dad was nice to a fault too. He wouldn't, he wouldn't say he, stop he, it, stop he, this he would, fucking bullshit. He already. would always yeah. list. He would always err on the side of, you know, she, she's not yeah. saying it. It's someone's telling her to say yeah. it. 
Um, it's not her. It's it's Scientology. You know, so it is what it is. And she and he's not wrong in that either. I mean, again, this is you know Scientology parents handing their children over to Scientology. What you know at the same? What, what do you expect? Yeah. No. And at the end of the day, they choose Scientology. They collected my trash every week. They, when we moved from California to Colorado, they had people in cars with cameras hanging out of the windows filming us in the moving truck driving. They followed us for maybe an hour or two out of Los Angeles, yeah. um, just driving in a moving truck. But they filmed Mark, us driving is, in a moving look, truck. <laughs> so what is this? What does all of this? Uh, get them. I mean, at the end of the day, destroying someone's family, um, keeping grandparents from from knowing their grandchildren. Where, 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 where does all spending millions and millions of dollars on you know following people and you know I think, going I think through their just garbage, ma- hiring PIs. I think they I just mean, want to make an example for their parishioners. At the end of the day, and what's the example? And what's and the what's example, the example is Mark, if you leave, happy, we're gonna, if you leave, we're going to fuck your shit up. If but guess leave, what? You don't. But guess what? You don't fuck your, our shit up because guess what? Mark and Claire are happy. They have yeah. beautiful children. They in, they created a life for themselves that is devoid of of of, of this hatred day in and day out from mankind. They, yeah. I mean, you. Well, evolved. that's what we try. You know, there yeah. were a pe- there. I'll I'll tell you, Leah. There were periods where I went through a very, in the early, early days after I left, where I went through, mainly when we were, we had a lawsuit where we were suing Scientology, and I was spending a lot of money to keep the lawsuit going and trying to keep my business going and having three boys and everything else. And there were periods uh, that I would go through like a bit of a depression, and no matter what, I would put on a, a good show and a happy face um, to make it like, no, Scientology's not winning. You know, I don't give a shit about their lawsuit. I don't give but a shit. But they weren't about- winning, Mark. I don't care if you were, you know, putting on a happy face. I understand. They weren't winning. Yes. Even if they won legally. I mean, yeah. they, they have the, millions. They have the the top-notch lawyers in every state yeah. on even, retainer. Even in the end, because we sued them, there was a ton of information that made it into the public domain Exactly. Stuff that they did that that is legally on file. And um, there was another lawsuit. There was a bunch of lawsuits that were filed at the same time as ours. Like people, Mm -hmm. I basically said, hey, if you this happened to you, you might have a case. You should talk to a lawyer. And so there were several lawsuits that got filed. And one of those lawsuits, they did end up settling with those people. And those people did get a good, good chunk, I assume, out of Scientology. But no matter what, um, the word got out about the beatings and a lot of those things became deposed facts that like these people said this in a legal document so it could be reported on. It could be movies can be made. uh, Books can be written. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also when we lost, we had to pay them. I think they sent us they actually sent us a a letter. We couldn't believe it. They sent us a letter saying, listen, you owe us $55,000 in legal fees. They fast-tracked this thing so that mm-hmm. it got approved by the court. 
And they said, if you don't pay this, we're going to aggressively collect. Like, we're going to try to take your house, take your vehicles, um, and whatever we can. But if you spy for us, if you become a spy for OSA and talk about all the communications you have with Mike Rinder and Marty Rathbun and turn over the rights to my book, um, if I do all these things, then they will forgive the $55,000. And, uh, and I just said, big, sent them a big F you and a check for $55,000. Um, and <laughs> I mean, then, that's pretty um, amazing. And then, but this is the best part. And I want to say this because there's a lot of people that helped. We did a, my, my friend Jason said, there's no way you should pay that 55 G's. I said, I already paid it. I already wrote him a check. He said, well, you should do a, a fundraiser, one of those GoFundMe things, and you should say, let's get that money back. In one week, we got $55,000 on GoFundMe. Yeah. And, um, and we got – so we, the 55 that we paid, we were made completely whole again, and um, we got the money back from just people, a lot of anonymous people, but yeah. uh, a lot of people that are you know still fighting Scientology to this day threw in a 50 or a 20 or a 100 or a 1,000 or whatever. But, um, and that was also got a lot of good – uh, airtime and press and kind of got the word out that, you know, even after they sent us the bill and they stole 15 years and the whole, my whole childhood and everything else, they still, they were like, Nope, we need another 55 K out of you before, before we're going to let this one go. <laughs> but yeah, they're relentless. They don't, um, I don't think, I don't think there's any way that Scientology is going to get um, shut down Unless people just keep talking about what what their experiences were, what they're doing, um, and one of the ways that we found to be able to do that is when the people do leave, if they're vulnerable and they have no place to go, yes. Scientology has this really good system of keeping them in the fold, even though they're basically disgruntled and hate Scientology. They they rely on their support system of their Scientology business or friends or whatever. So if you give people some basically resources to be able to escape Scientology and to leave, then they it's better it's a better chance that they're going to tell their story because Scientology actually sent a group of people around to anyone and everyone who ever left the int base. They went around, they hunted these people down, and they said, listen, whether they had talked out or not, they said, listen, we're going to give you a check for $25,000, but you got to sign these papers saying that you will never talk about Scientology for the rest of your life. Right. And and that is arguably, that's a more legal document than whatever paperwork you sign when you're in Scientology. Um, When you receive a payment from somebody and say you won't do something, it's a little bit more binding in some places than – if you just say, yeah, I'm not going to say anything and you don't have a lawyer and you don't even know what you're signing. But, right. um, but so the, after- and you're, and go ahead. I was going to say the aftermath foundation is uh, a foundation that uh, a bunch of us ex Scientologists are part of. And, um, and we use that to help people get back on their feet. If they do escape from Scientology and have nowhere to go or nowhere to turn, we can help them out with a place to stay or, uh, a job or I mean we've had volunteers all over the world that are like if anyone needs anything we're here like no I know you we, name we, it it's insane. There, there have been 
people offering uh, psychiatrists, therapists, yes. psychologists, people offering their homes, yep. saying if any Scientologist in this area needs a place to stay, a job. Yeah, like, people that has, own chains and chains of restaurants. It's or such a beautiful thing like, to see. I'll give it's anybody a job. I don't care if they yes. have been in the Sea Org their whole life and they only know Scientology. I'll still, and, I'll still hire them. And I want to say, um, and I and I say this to people often, like, you know, if you encounter a, a person who's in Scientology in the Sea Organization, because they are walking down the street, not people from gold, the gold base where David Miscavige was and where you guys were. But, you know, you see local churches of Scientology and you see the people walking around in the uniforms. They're Sea Org members or yeah. at, in Florida, in Clearwater, Florida. You could, I mean, they're, they're getting off the buses. I mean, you know exactly who they are. And I say, please don't ridicule them. Yeah. That you, does, you that's not get them to leave. At all. Yeah, that's and, not and, and direct them to the Aftermath Foundation because they can help them. And that's what I tell people. If you see it, if you see them, please try to help them, get them out. Um, and, and the Aftermath Foundation is, is a beautiful thing that you guys started. And, and I love talking about it. And we should talk about the bobblehead. Now, the bobblehead was originally, uh, it wasn't even a thing. It was just a pretended bobblehead. That, well, no, that science, it was, was No, no, Scientology... No, they Scientology made, had it. They actually had a bobblehead. Yes, they yes. made a bobblehead, Leah. They oh, made, oh, right, that's right. They also made a marionette of yeah, all of you, so, right, so Mike? In, in, the, in, uh, in the days when we would have year. events, when we would do um, international events, we did seven events a year all over the mm -hmm. world for Scientology. And at these events, you'd have speakers like Mike Rinder, yeah. um, Ray Midoff, Mark Yeager, Guillaume Lesev, Heber Jensen. These are all the top. Top executives, Scientology, the, who, the, by the way, have not been seen right along with Shelly Miscavige. Go ahead. Yeah, and they also, by the way, have all their own hate sites all ready to go. You know that. No. Yes. I didn't know that. All of those all guys. All their names are all registered. They already have all their domains. So, oh, if, so they have God. a Who is Mike Rinder site that's got stuff on it. Well, they have a Who is Mark Yeager site ready to go. If he p jumps over the fence, they yeah. just push a button and his site's up and running. So- yeah. Um, but but David Miscavige would make fun and riddle, ridicule these guys while they were on stage rehearsing for these events. He would make fun of them full time. He would talk shit to Heber and he would call uh, Ray Midoff Howdy, Do Howdy Doody, was it? No, Gumby. 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 No, he Heber was Howdy Doody. Howdy Doody was Heber, yeah. And go, and go, um, Ray Midoff was Gumby and Mark Yeager was Q-Ball because he was bald. And okay. um, he would make fun of them, but it, the the making fun of them got really old. It, it, he'd already said is what he'd said so many times. So he actually had professional marionettes made, like commissioned. They looked, I mean, I don't know if you could get your hands on that Mike Rinder one. That thing would be invaluable. It was like, yeah. it was amazing. It was amazing. And so they, he made bobbleheads. And so, so, when, no, no, so when you guys did the Aftermath show mm -hmm. and Mike was the co-host, they were trying to say, well, he just say whatever Leah wants him to say. He and just so stands made, there and nods. So they made a bobblehead. Like you could pay somebody 150 bucks to make you a bobblehead. Um, maybe 300 bucks. Anyway, they made a, a, a bobblehead of Mike Rinder, and it's just sitting there shaking his head. Well, as soon as I saw that bobblehead, I was like, well, first of all, it's wearing a sweater. I ain't never seen no Mike sweater wear, Mike Rinder wear a sweater. So I was like – he doesn't dress like that. And it didn't, it wasn't a really good likeness of him, but yeah. it was okay. 
I was like, I could totally knock that out of the park. I can make one way better, make Mike look like a million bucks, sell those wow. for thir- for sell sell those for thirty bucks, and we can make a bunch of money for the Aftermath Foundation. Well, we made we made a I think we made a thousand. We sold out of those bobbleheads in a few weeks. They were gone. And we did make a lot of money for the Aftermath Foundation. And so after many requests and many people pleading with me that they didn't get one, blah, 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 um, we made a new batch. So we have another – it's a bobblehead. It's eight inches tall. It's, it's got Mike Rinder. He's wearing a nice it's – a, it's a photo that was taken from the uh, Aftermath TV show promotion photos or something. And um, – it's a Mike Rinder bobblehead. It says Mike Rinder on the bottom of it. Well, I love it. I think it's amazing. And we should, we're going to uh, put the, the link on our website. so yeah, that, the, uh, the spshop.com is where you can buy them. And if you already have a Mike Rinder bobblehead, you can get an SP bracelet. So an, an in SP? Scientology, yeah. they have these things. When you get to this level called clear on the bridge to total freedom. I still have um, mine, by the way. Clear you bracelet. get your you get a bracelet. It says clear, and it's a it's just and like it has a, a little, number and it has a number on the back. Yeah, and it, but there's yeah. I'm telling you, the clears are clears are uh, measurable. There's like a few thousand of them. You can keep yeah. track of that. There's yeah. too many SPs to keep track of. We can't be numbering the bracelets. So yeah, it just um, uh, too to many. remind everybody, yeah. SP means suppressive person, which means That's an right. enemy of Scientology. That's so right. go ahead. You, you, have, you have the SP bracelets that are like SP the clear- bracelets. They're thirty okay. bucks. Bobblehead's thirty bucks. Okay. All the profits go to the Aftermath Foundation. Awesome. When that person leaves and they got nowhere to go, Aftermath Foundation hooks them up. And we've helped a ton of people. And that and and at first we didn't even realize how many people we think would be coming. There's a lot of people that, that write in and they have like a little thing they can fill out and say what they need and where they're at and what happened. And, and um, we have a lot of people send in requests and because of people that either make straight donations, you can also just sign up for Amazon smile and lift the aftermath mouth foundation. So whenever you buy anything from Amazon, it just donates a portion to, to the aftermath foundation. Um, we have people that do fundraisers on Facebook, but there's a lot of people that have donated. This is a way for you to get a little trinket, be part of the community of people that are, you know, speaking out about Scientology and um, and help the Aftermath Foundation, which is really the only – I think it's the only foundation I know of that exists for anything related to Scientology for people to escape. I don't think there's any other thing set up for anybody to go to. So, no, yep. which is why I applaud you guys, and it's a, a beautiful. Is it aftermathfoundation.com uh, or what, what's the what is mm. the website name? I think it's dot org. The aftermathfoundation.org. but I'll include a link, of course. Well, let let let's have an answer to that question. I mean, being we're talking so highly of it. Yeah, if you want to donate directly, you can go to theaftermathfoundation.org. And just hit the donate button. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you. You and Mike are, I mean, I mean, I've been doing this since 2006, but you guys have accomplished a lot more in a lot shorter amount of time. So uh, hats Actually, off to you Mark, too. I'm going to disagree with you. You know, everybody's work that, that is involved in helping victims of Scientology, taking down Scientology in their own way. Uh, if you If you help one person, you've done everything for them if you saved one family from this you've done everything for them that's true i i just i think 
we're all doing our part. Every, every, everybody's little part, big part, it all contributes to the bigger picture, which is we want to stop Scientology from doing what it's doing to people and families. Yeah. Yep. I think everybody who does anything, including contributing to the Aftermath Foundation, is yeah. a part of the bigger picture. And yes, there are some people who are more prominent, but that doesn't mean they're more important. Correct. That's true. That's true. Like, you know, I was listening to that Stephanie Hutchison girl. Amazing. She is a firecracker. That is amazing. And, you know, it's funny because when we were on the events, we knew – I mean, 99% of that stuff was bullshit that we say in the events and all the people that are do, were doing videos about that never in a million years, I don't think Scientology thought anybody would fact check a single thing they ever said. That's and what I'm fact, saying. This is not even a, a journalist. This is just oh, no. a woman yeah, who exactly. was watching the show going, totally. what the fuck is this? <laughs> if you yep. if if you had if you just took a stack of all their event videos, DVDs, and just went through them, you could send 100 letters a video. And I'm sure... You know, 90 of them would come back. What the what? I didn't say that. You know, we didn't. Yes. It's, and that's but, why I want people to understand, like, because they keep asking us, what can I do? Anything. Totally. Anything you do is helpful. You, you, you listening to this podcast is helpful. Supporting people who've left Scientology is helpful. Doing anything that you can do to contribute to the bigger picture, which is helping victims and, and helping to get the word out about Scientology by writing your congressmen and women by getting involved yourselves in any way that you can it's all helpful and we totally. cannot thank you enough for supporting us up to this point and you've been amazing so thank you to everybody and again thank you for listening and mark we love you we love claire more it's okay she answers the phone she answers emails on the phone so that's kind of she's got the edge on me there but continued <laughs> blessings, Mark. Honestly, you guys are so blessed, uh, as is, as are all of us who have been given a second chance at, at life, really. So um, continued success, Mark. Continued blessings. We love you. Thank and, you. Uh, love you guys, too. Keep keep you. rocking it into 2020. And I want my bobblehead, Mark. What? I want my bobblehead. Okay. Talk to your people. Got to get through the firewall, a firewall of lawyers and managers. Oh, oh, you know what, Mark? Don't even say that shit because we have. By the way, can I get to? Can can you? Can you? Did you? Did you show the pictures to Leah? Well, um, what exactly is the structure of the payments that will be made? You're such a liar. Uh, By the way, (laughs) we have the first five minutes of us talking before we actually started the podcast, where Mark said. He has tried to do the bobblehead yes, okay. and he's done surveys and nobody knows who they're looking yeah. at. Natalie Portman. I got Natalie Portman standing next to Mike Rinder and I got Kate yeah. Beckinsale standing next to, and I got a, a moody, I don't know, somebody else, but yeah, no, I can't, we can't do it. Well, it's not that hard oh, and I it's know. not because, and it's I not just, because of me or my know, people, but, your people. <laughs> my people. It's your me. People. The bobblehead production unit is me, myself, and I. There's no well, other people involved. fucking flunk. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, Leah, at the end of the day, yeah. they just can't capture your essence. There's so much, I don't know, it's I just, I just it. explosive energy. Quoi. I, I understand. Explosive energy there that they just can't. And also, 
I don't want that explosive energy bouncing back to me when you see these things. You didn't ever even saw that second one. I didn't even send it. I was like, uh, Claire's like, you think we should send it to Leah? I was like, oh, no way. But don't worry. She's I gonna, that ain't an email. Upset. That ain't an email. She's going to call me if she sees that thing. I am not upset at all being compared to Natalie Portman. I am absolutely I'm, fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> That gave you raccoon eyes. Look at that. Here, like, so look, okay. Like, Mike, take a picture either. of that. Mike, really, take a Hold picture on. of that. And let's take a survey of people. Okay, here, is let it, me do this. Is one. it me? Is it okay. me? Okay. Here, do this one, too. Hold on. It doesn't look anything like me other than the white suit. Okay, I'm talking right now, and uh, this is my attempt, my first and second, well, there was a third attempt, but I'm not even going to show that one ever to anybody. Um, but these are the attempts that actually got made. And um, like I said, Mike Rinder, he looks like a rock star. He looks better than his first one. But uh, um, just because he's just a little tanner. Um, but uh, Leah just does not look like Leah. I don't know what to say. I can't do it. Um, you know, Mark, don't really give up. Well, it's just uh, I didn't have enough time, and also I'm paying for all this. Oh, I got you. Okay. This is out of my money. I'm okay, not. Yeah. There's no. There's no bobblehead SP bobblehead production fund. <laughs> I'm paying for all this shit. So I when I you. do a bobblehead that sucks, that's I do too. I that's a few thousand bucks out of my pocket. Oh hell no. Oh okay. Yes. No. All right. All right. No. Yes. No. no I have to no, pay I for don't. these fuckers to fuck this shit up. No, I don't. I don't want you to spend that money. All right. Anyway. Mark, thank you again so much. Love you guys. Thank Until you. Thank time. you for having me. Hopefully I didn't talk too much uh, too long. Uh, you can do it, but uh, yeah, it's all good. Awesome. Yeah, That's why we love you. We, 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 yeah. we have the same disease, Mark. Don't worry. Yeah. Diarrhea <laughs> of the mouth. No, it just it's a lot of information to get out. Yes. But yeah. thank you but for thank everything. You. you were great, baby. Thank you so very much. Okie doke. Bye, All buddy. right, babies. Bye, guys. <laughs>